Welcome to The Athletics of Business, a podcast about how the traits and behaviors of elite athletes and remarkable business leaders frequently intersect. The real stories and hard lessons to help you level up your leadership and performance. Now your host, Ed Molitor. Welcome back to another episode of The Athletics of Business podcast. I am your host, Ed Molitor, and we promise you another amazing conversation with the incredible Jane Edwards. And Jane is the account director on the BMW Group at Wasserman, leading on creating unique brand experiences and activate partnerships that deliver the core brand essence of joy. Now, if we talk to Jane about her professional career and the amazing work that her and her team do alone, if that was just a conversation, would be a phenomenal conversation. But as you know, my affinity for triathlons and what goes into them and the stories behind them and the lessons that we can pull for them, that part of this conversation is incredible. And I don't want to give it all the way. So let's just say this. Jane competed in her first triathlon in 2016 as a runner, trying to overcome her fear of swimming, specifically sharks. And wait till you hear her story about how that all of a sudden hit her at the turning point of the swim in Kona. Now, six years after she competed in her first triathlon, she was juggling training with working in events. And that event world is an incredible workload, very demanding and not easy to juggle all the other things you have going on in your life. But she creatively found a way to do it. Runs home after work, cycling 200 kilometers to site. So Jane eventually shifted from completing to competing in triathlons. And doesn't that kind of fit in? Well, not kind of. It fits in with our whole, are you interested or are you committed, right? So she took things up a notch, which is absolutely mind-blowing when you know all that was going on in her life at that time. And now, She's qualifying this year for the European and Ironman Age Group World Championships. While her triathlon kit has had a few upgrades and her responsibilities at work have increased, Jane's dedication towards always improving has stayed strong and consistent, and that is helped by a supportive and encouraging workplace. Now, let me just give you a peek into what we're going to talk about with Jane, because there is such a connection between her world of training for the Ironman competitions and her professional career. One of the things we talk about, which I find so fascinating, is how to creatively think on your feet in the execution phase when adversity hits after so much preparation. And this absolutely ties back to her competing in the Ironman. We'll talk about the importance of having good people around you who will both challenge and support your new ideas. The power of working with clients where your values and purpose are aligned. Now, listen to this. This is so powerful. Everyone understands they are working together for a common cause. They have different roles, different responsibilities, yet they all do the best they can with the existing constraints. And we're going to talk about Jane's journey from marathoner to sprint triathlete to Olympic triathlete to the iron, as I call it, the iron woman, how it bolstered her creative thinking and her mental toughness. And Jane has absolutely, and this is something that we can take away right now today, Jane has mastered the art of breaking down large projects and long journeys into bite-sized tasks and staying focused on what is right in front of her. And I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to let you enjoy this conversation with Jane Edwards. Jane, thank you so much for joining me today on the Athletics of Business podcast. I am absolutely thrilled to have you here. Oh, thanks, Ed. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. I'm so excited for our conversation that's going to come. Now, I know we're both nervous that we can't duplicate the conversation that we had a month and a half ago because it was so wonderful, but we will. I promise you all, we will do our best. But in the intro, I filled the listener in on a little bit of your journey, your background, 
why don't you bring us up to speed to what you're doing now? Matter of fact, let's just jump right into Munich, what you were doing there recently, and all the wonderful work that you're doing at Wasserman. So yeah, so I was I've just come back from a week in Munich where we were doing a fan activation zone for the NFL in their first game in um, in Munich for nearly ten years, and we were doing a fan activation zone, a um, which had sort of broke out all the elements of the NFL game and um, sort of had them for the fans to experience. So we had a quarterback challenge sort of wide receiver so really getting people involved in the game and to experience it before they went into the stadium so that's that's literally yeah just come off the flight right now what was it like there knowing everything that you were pouring into it all the work that went into it and the fan activation for your client and just the vibe of the nfl in germany versus other look how excited were they for that they were so excited the f- i don't think i've ever seen such excited fans because they haven't had the NFL there for a really long time and definitely the popularity has been growing throughout through Germany in the last sort of 10 years. We kept saying to the stadium throughout the, the build-up to this, fans will get there from nine o'clock. Kickoff was at 3.30 in the afternoon. Fans will start arriving from nine. And the stadium were like, no, football fans, they arrive, you know, 45 minutes before the game, walk straight into the seats. I don't, you know, it's not going to be a problem. But from nine o'clock in the morning, people were coming off the U-Bahn. Just the happiness and the joy on their faces it was just amazing. And you had these like, you know, people from all different teams. It wasn't just the Bucks and the Seahawks that were there. And it was truly a, like an amazing experience to watch them come through, experience all the fan activations, experience the whole site, and then go and watch what was a great game. Does it make your job easier to get them excited about BMW and get them excited about the fan activation when there's already that level of energy? Or can that whole, whatever, everything else that's going on, can that serve as a distraction to what you're trying to accomplish in that setting? I think when you have, well, a great activation, a great product, and great people that, that come enjoy it. It does make our jobs a bit easier. But I think it all stems from having the good idea to begin with. And then once that is put in place, you, you sort of, you create ideas for, for fans to enjoy and, and they do. So let's talk about that a little bit. Your responsibility at Wasserman, what you do in your role, explain your role a little bit and how many different folks that you interact with and the significance it is for you to be able to connect with those people. So my role was, I'm actually one of the client services part for BMW, and I just worked on NFL for this, well, for this the short time for the project. But I guess my job at, um, at Wasman is all about forming connections. We are a connections agency, and everything we do is the value in delivering sort of these meaningful connections between brands and people. So my job is to kind of take all the different parts from the creative, from the activations, from the production from you know different agencies and put them all together to create an event, whether it's yeah, a fan experience, whether it's a track day, whether it's a, a retailer engagement, they're sort of really varied. A, a podcast, I do actually I have um, you know, well, worked on a podcast. It's quite fun being on the other side of it. So yeah, just a real range of um products that yeah, we I sort of help pull together and then deliver for, for how did you know this role was something that you wanted to do? Like with the different roles you've had over your career, how did you figure that this is something that fit? I think for Wasserman, it was twofold. One, the types of work we do as a global sports agency, well, sports, music and entertainment, really, we there is so much opportunity for what we do. And I think being passionate about sports, it's quite nice to work for an agency that is also passionate about sports. And I think, and probably this is where it fits in with me loving racing and training and what I do is I love the output. It's that moment where 
you've spent months building up to this you know you've had some really awful times during the diet you know during the build or whatever and you stand there it, when it all goes live the doors open the recording goes on and you can just sit back and see this is what we did and it's that moment that I think I absolutely love about my job and you sort of have to remember it in the dark times when clients are difficult or things have gone wrong or things are going right and you sort of have to remember that moment of like it all comes together at this one key point. What happens when it all comes together, it's going well, and then there's a little bit of adversity? How does that, how do you shift that mind to like, oh my God, isn't this awesome? Like, all right, we better figure this out right now. I guess it's about finding an answer creatively and there is always a solution. I guess you always have to look at the positives. I think what you sort of have to do is think on your feet, think about how there isn't a right or wrong answer. It's just about what is the best thing for that solution. Let's dig into this a little bit because this is really cool. There is no right or wrong answer. You're going to come up with a solution. And the first thing you think of might not be the best thing, right? So do you have kind of a process or a system where it's like, okay, try this. Nope. Let's reframe it this way. Let's try. I mean, is there something, how do you stay even and not sort of lose it mentally and emotionally at that point? It's about having good people around you. Someone that if you're going to say, let's do this. And they're like, oh, I'm not sure about that, Jane. And then you can work with that person to create a better solution. I also think it's about just taking a split second and you don't have to say the first thing that comes out of your comes out of your mouth. And if you're sometimes that is really difficult when you're standing in front of a client and they're demanding a solution, just saying, just give me two minutes and I'll come back to you with the right answer rather than giving you an answer now, give me two minutes and I'll come back to you with the right answer. And I guess it's having some sort of authority relationship with your client and also belief in yourself that that will happen. And you can go spend that extra um, or extra sort of looking around a room to be like, right, we've got it. Let's go. And is it safe to say that the trust that you built up over time with the client because of the way you did things is what gives them the ability to give you the space you need to make that adjustment? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so much of what I do is about relationship building and giving them the trust and the belief that we as a team know what we're doing. And that does come through all the way right from the beginning of the planning process, setting things up, making sure you're always on the front foot, that you know, you're you're working always one step ahead of the client. So when they come to you, and and actually this is probably the best thing to solve a problem on site, try and be one step ahead and have seen the problem before someone else comes up and, you know, notices it. So when they come up and say, oh, I don't know, something very small, the screen's not working. You're like, we're on it. The AV supplier is already fixing it. It will be back up and running. And so, yeah, trying to establish that relationship, establish that trust, building good processes, building good practices that allow your clients the belief that, you know, yeah. So preparation is a huge deal. And communicating, over-communicate that preparation. Because we talk a lot here about the five fundamentals of, of coaching, but really it's it, it could be applied to the five fundamentals of relationship building with your clients as well. The preparation, the communication, the execution, the reflection, and the adaption, the ability to make adjustments. How much do you over-communicate to how prepared you are to your clients when you go into big events like you just had in Munich? Mm, a lot, I think. The clients prefer to, to know more. They, they need to Actually, I think it's a fine line between telling them absolutely every single tiny detail and giving them the picture that they need to know. And you also have to remember that our clients as well, they they need to respond to people internally. They need to feel empowered and 
will have the knowledge that they can then go to their senior internally and say, this is where we're at, this is the process, this is how it's been happening. And so it's working with them to make sure that they have that information that they need. And I, and I guess it's about bringing them on the journey, letting them understand why you've made those decisions and how those decisions have led to that outcome is also really important. So then when that outcome happens and someone asks them, oh, why did you do this? They also understand the reasoning and the strategy and the rationale behind it. Let me ask you something. I'm going to pivot a little bit, still related to clients. Yeah. What are the traits and characteristics of the clients that you have the most fun working with? I think fairness. We all work very hard and we all want a very high level. I think fairness and understanding, I think are two really important traits. Well, and here's why I asked the question, because one of the things that I've learned over years, and God knows I've had enough years to learn things with my age, is that I really find the most joy in working with clients where we are connected and we're aligned in our values, in our purpose, in the fact that we realize that you can, you know, that having fun and working hard are not mutually exclusive, right? And yeah. and being positive and dealing with reality is is also not mutually exclusive. So I was just curious because you you have told me, you know, a few times how much you enjoy your clients and how much fun you have and how much you love. So I'm just curious, like what that looks like on the other side. Yeah. I think it's about working together for a common purpose mm-hmm. makes the best clients. I think they need to understand that we are in this together. We have different sides. We have different roles. We have different responsibilities, but we are all making sure that the event or, you know, the activation or the campaign that we're doing is the best that it can be in whatever restraint that that may be. And I think that really makes the best clients that you're, you have different roles, but you are in it together. Yeah. So you're busy. It's safe to say you're very busy, correct? And you also know, like, you are my idol. Like, the way you do things and the way you train, I briefly introduced your athletic prowesses and, and your accomplishments and the work that you put in inside of the introduction. Okay. I briefly touched on that, I should say, excuse me. But how in the world do you find time? Take us through this whole journey of your, and I don't want to use the word obsession, commitment to competing at a very high level in Ironman's and half Ironmans. Okay. Mm -hmm. And where that came from, because the story, obviously I'm cheating because I know the story, but the story, how you got into triathlons in the first place, I find absolutely fascinating and very humbling. So uh, yeah, I guess I'll start from the beginning. I've always been a a runner, not a particularly good one, but I enjoyed going out for a run and I enjoyed, I enjoyed running and I did a few marathons. They were, I mean, they're not slow, but they were not, you know, record break or anything like that. And then I got to ask you to pause for a second. So you just said I've done a few marathons. Like some people say, I went out for a run around the block. Okay. So anyways, yeah. I apologize for interrupting. But I need to point <laughs> yeah, that that's out. true. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I guess I built, I built up to the marathons, ended up doing some marathons. And then my mom, this is a bit of a ridiculous story, but I'll take it through. My mom was lady captain at her golf club and needed to raise money for her charity. Mm-hmm. And so had said to me, oh, Jane, could you do another marathon and um, we'll sponsor you? And I thought, I can't ask people to sponsor me for something that I enjoy doing and that I've now at this point done five of. It just didn't seem fair. It didn't seem right. But at the time, I didn't cycle. I was scared of the water. I was absolutely terrified of swimming. I'd never swum in open water. And I thought, okay, while running is I can do, I've never done the other two disciplines. So let's do a triathlon. So I started swimming in a pool. I couldn't swim like 100 meters in front crawl at the time so this was maybe six months eight months before I just before the race and to do a triathlon you have to swim at all in front crawl 
<laughs> and were you doing the Olympic distance to start with? Uh, yes, the Olympic distance oh. was, yeah. Okay, just so for us, and I'm going to need you to translate this for me. I apologize. I should have been more prepared than this. Shame on me. It's 0.9 miles here for the Olympic distance for the swim. So how many meters would that be for you? That's 1,500 meters. Okay. All right. Yeah, so, 1,500 meters. And then I actually it, knew that. but <laughs> so, so then a 40K bike, which is a 25-mile run, mm-hmm. and then a 10K run, which is a 6.2-mile. But again, six to eight weeks before the race, and you're only swimming 100 meters front crawl. Yeah. Okay. So I started off doing, I guess, 25 meters front crawl, 25 meters breaststroke. And then slowly over the months, I built up to be able to do 1500 meters in front crawl. And I signed up to do a sprint triathlon, so that's half all the distances, two months beforehand, just to give me a bit of preparation of, I don't know, swimming in open water. And in the first, my first race, I totally panicked in the water. And the fear that I had of swimming in open water totally overcame me. I totally forgot how to swim. And I just remember thinking at the time, I just have to get out of the water. That was the only thing that I could think about. And it was the longest 750 meters I think I have ever swum. It's real. And if if you've never done a triathlon, regardless if it's a sprint or an Ironman, when you get in your own head and get into your, your emotions in the swim, it's scary. Yeah. And I was totally underprepared. I, the water was very cold. It was a mass start, which, um, which means you all start at exactly the same time. So it means you get kicked, you get someone hits you on the head. It was just horrible. And I think about this sometimes now when I'm having a really bad session of how far I've come. Because at this point, I finished second to last out of the swim. It was me and one other person behind me. And I remember getting out being like, oh my God, that was the worst thing ever. And then <laughs> thinking, okay, it's not so bad. I can just get on the bike. And, you know, this was a very average bike I commuted on. I didn't have pedals. I, d- I didn't have like pedals. I didn't have cycling shorts. And I was like, fine, I can get on this. And slowly throughout the, 20- the next sort of, you know, 20K, I calmed my breath down. I calmed back up and I just started to enjoy it. And yes, yeah, so I finished the bike, finished the run and actually ended ended up in a reasonable time. I was very happy. And, but that was my first ever, yeah. Um, first ever sort of sprint triathlon. So how in the world, as many as I've done, I still, every now and then it creeps in, right? That fear of swimming. Like, I can't believe yeah. I still have this far to go. I can't believe I got kicked this many times already. But how did you, after experiencing that in the sprint, still get yourself together, continue training and then go do the Olympic? I thought about why it went wrong, firstly. And that was because the water was cold. I was like, fine, I can overcome that. I can find a lake and swim in the water. And then I, it was a little bit like getting back on getting back on a bike. Or maybe, I guess I, was, I learned to ride when I was younger. And it was sort of when you, when you get kicked or when you fall off your horse, you just have to get back on it. And that's really how, well, how I kept going. But the next one I did was then the Olympic, which I'd collected loads of sponsorship for. And suddenly there was this big pressure on me to not happen again because I thought I can't have all these people that sponsored me and I don't get out of the swim and it was better (laughs) it was still horrible I still had that fear but I managed to I think I was ready for it I was more prepared for it so I could overcome it quicker than I did beforehand did you so we talk a lot about here about be there before you get there so did you visualize that did you think about that like okay I know at some point panic will set in and here's how I'm going to talk myself through it, or here's how I'm going to change my mindset. How were you able to overcome that during the Olympic swim, especially when it's longer? I'm not sure I did it consciously, but I definitely did it subconsciously. 
And it was kind of while I was swimming in the training to think I would some sometimes I would relive the moment of the panic that was in the, you know, that I had in that sprint. And I guess sort of having that practice of overcoming it. And I guess I'd I'd overcome it once. So when it happened again, you know you can push through. And I think that's what's so important about, I guess, doing sport and sort of pushing yourself. You always have these hard moments and you always come out the other side. And it means that you can just translate that into real life where it could be slightly more important. It's like it it gives you those sort of offers to have that like extra I guess to ask those difficult questions to you know to sort of have those tough conversations because you've kind of gone through tough things before and come out the other side but in a different aspect does that make and sense you came, yeah oh yeah and you came out the other side better stronger yes. more confident uh, yeah. a greater sense of calm than you probably had when you're in the water and, and a belief that I could overcome it and you know and I think that that is really important so when did it start to show up in your business career? Like when did it start to show up in, in your professional career? I should say like, okay, I've done this and like, I literally learned how to swim so I could yeah. do a sprint to prepare, then do the Olympic. If I can do that here, like you just said, then I certainly can do that here in my professional world. Did you see the translation immediately? Um, I think it grew. I think it was a definitely like a slow burn, but I remember last year, so last summer, actually, I had a, a very difficult client and it was a real struggle to get where we needed to get to in the project. And my boss turned around to me and said, you're very tenacious, Jane. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's because, and there was sort of that moment of, real, that moment of, yeah, because when you're in a race, you can't give up. Or when you're training for something and you've put all this thing into it, you can't give up. You have to keep going. You have to keep finding a different way. And so that then translated into into my work of mm-hmm. there's always an alternative there's always you know you have to keep moving forward you have to keep hitting these targets hitting these benchmarks and 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 actually i think it was about how i so moving then into to ironmans and kind of training for them when i first started on that i mean to to think i couldn't swim 750 meters <laughs> and then a year later i was well less than that 6 months later i signed up for an ironman the the idea of <laughs> So you're telling me six months after you did the Olympic, you signed up for an Ironman? I think it was three months after I did the Olympic. So three months, six months after the sprint, when you said it was the most terrifying 750 meters you ever swam in your life and you have no idea how you did it, you decided to swim how many meters? So 2.4 mile swim is um, 30... It's 3,800 meters. 3,800 meters. So what in the world made you do that? I think it was a bit of, well, firstly, competitiveness. And one, a friend that I had who turned around and said, because one of her colleagues was signing up, she was like, oh, I'm signing up for an Ironman. And we were going to do this 24-hour, re- that's right, we were doing this 24-hour relay race. And she made just an off-the-hand comment of, this is going to be great training for my Ironman, like two months after this 24-hour relay race. And I just remember sitting there thinking, well, if she can do it, maybe I can do it too. And when I was running marathons, um, my friends used to say to me, oh, Jane, are you ever going to do an Ironman? Oh, how do you think about doing an Ironman? And I remember point blank saying, nope, I'm never doing that. Why would you do that? That's stupid. And then suddenly there was just this little nugget. And I thought, oh, I guess, you know, <laughs> I've never cycled that far. I've never swum that far. I've run that far, but never after doing the other two. Right. But if she can do it, 
so can I. And <laughs> <laughs> so I think two days later, I signed up and that was it. And suddenly I thought, oh God, I have to learn to swim three times as far as I've ever swum before. Well, not only that, you paid to do it, right? Like you yes. paid a decent amount of money to punish yourself. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You pay a lot of money to punish yourself, but I, I think they do that deliberately. I think they make it a bigger deal. So, so mm-hmm. don't, people don't drop out. So you don't bail out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember like for the whole of that, people sort of asked me what motivated me through that. And it was a genuinely a sense of fear of failure. And it was the, I got out of, I got out of bed in the morning to go for a swim, to go for a cycle, because if I didn't, I might not finish. And yeah, I sort of turned up on the start line. Now I have different goals when I go into a right. race and they, you know, I'm a bit more strategic and I have sort of better expectations of myself. But for this Ironman, I turned up on the start line and all I thought about was I just have to finish. That's it. Don't mind when, I don't care how, I just have to finish. And really, it was only towards the end of the run where like I realized, well, one of my friends that come out to support told me sort of that I was doing quite well. And I was suddenly like, oh. And then she said something to me on the side. Like she sort of shouted something out to me as I was running along. I didn't really hear what it was. And it was something like third. And I was like, is there three people ahead? Like, what does she mean? I can't be third. That's ridiculous. (laughs) And it was then only when I finished and I looked at the scoreboard and I had finished third in my age group out of 35 women. And I was like, hang on a minute. (laughs) I have something here. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, so you're saying you said no expectations on yourself. Like you said, just to finish. That was it. Yeah. It wasn't, you know what, this is what I trained. This is the time I trained at. I think I can nail it here. It was just, let's go do this. I had told people, again, you you tell people one thing and you know yourself are different. I had told people I wanted to do it in around 13 hours. And I had said to myself, mm, I'd quite like somewhere between 11 and 12. You're smart. Because that's a good time. Mm-hmm. And I thought I'd be no, very happy. it's a great time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a great time. Um, and I ended up doing it in 11 hours and five minutes. Your first one ever. My first one ever. That you started training for... Three months after the Olympic one. Well, you yeah, signed up I, for, I should say. Yes, three months I had, yeah, I had a year, yeah. a year of training. Yeah. So let me ask you this if I can, because I'm going to take you all the way back to that fear of swimming. A, what was it? B, how did you work through it? And C, does it ever show up in the longer distance when you do the Ironman? So A, my fear of swimming stemmed from having like a six month, a year period, having these dreams about how I was going to get eaten by a shark. Mm. And they were so random and totally irrational one of them was it was swimming around the top of a well and I was stuck at the bottom and it like dived down and as it dived down I jumped up and it ate my foot and all these things where I'd be swimming back into shore and it'd eat my legs and but basically every once a week twice a week I had these dreams about how I was going to get eaten by a shark and that was, was this was when you were a kid when you're a teenager when it, when it was started this? when I was about 16 okay. so between somewhere between 16 and 18, I just kept having these dreams and I created this irrational fear of swimming. I mean, I grew up in Greece. I was used to swim all the time. I did well, I used to paddle about in the sea, I guess. I never swam properly. But <laughs> and, and we're suddenly, not talking paddling a boat either. You're talking about paddling about like Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just come go over the beach, you know. But suddenly I was terrified of going in the water. I couldn't I couldn't go in the water above my knees. 
And without getting this fear that a shark was going to attack me. And there aren't sharks. I mean, there, you know, there aren't sharks in the Mediterranean. And I knew it was irrational and I just couldn't get over it. Because I always knew it was irrational and I would get it sometimes when I was in a pool and it was about building up. I guess I suppose I was building up my ability to swim, but also slowly overcoming that fear. So every length I did that I didn't get eaten by a shark was a length that I was proving to myself that that wasn't going to happen. And it does still come. I mean, when I did, yeah, the world championships, someone mentioned to me on the way over who didn't know about this fear. They were like, oh, aren't there sharks in Hawaii? And my face just went white. (laughs) And I remember saying, you can't say that. I can't think about that. And they didn't really understand what they said. And I just had to change the topic and just move on and just put that to the back of my mind and just pretend that no one had ever said that. And it does still happen. I do still get that fear, but I have learned to subdue it. And when it happens, so it happened, yeah, it happened in the World Championships as I was like the furthest point out as you then turn around to swim back. And this is really horrible. But in my mind, I thought, it's okay. I'm in the middle of the pack. If something happens, (laughs) there are faster swimmers than me and slower swimmers than me. So I'm probably going to be okay. And that is what I started talking about. And then I just had to be like, I've just got to focus on this person's feet. That's all I have to think about. Don't worry about anything else. And you kind of just have to really focus your mind to sort of stamp out these irrational, this irrational fear that I have. So you obviously made it Get out of the water. Do you feel like the weight of the world lift off your shoulders when you get out of the water? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the best swimmer. So I always feel like the bike is what I enjoy and the run is what I'm good at. And so the race always progresses better for me, I think. Yeah. Um, It's so interesting though. Yeah. The fear, even when you're in a pool, like there's irrational and then there's like completely irrational and that's completely irrational. But the fact that you were able to manage your mind and are you accepting the fact that that's kind of always going to be there? That'll just be something that shows up every time you race. I think so. Yeah. 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 It comes, it sometimes comes randomly that you'll be in. So I swim in like a a lake near me. And again, it's a closed lake, water from the Thames. And sometimes there's a bit of a black spot and I just sort of have to swim past it. And then, then I carry on and then it comes back again and I swim past it. So tell us about Kona though. Tell us about that. I I mean, that race knowing folks have done is absolutely amazing. And it always means something very significant, regardless of where you finish, but you finished in a great spot. Okay. It seems to have pushed you further into the sport to achieve more. Tell yeah. us like, like what was going through your mind as you biked. It is a bear. It There's is a lot of other words we can use, but they, it is a bear. they talk about Kona being a race in itself and all our man's are hard. I think we can safely say that. And when you look at Kona on paper, it doesn't seem any harder than any other Ironman. You know, it's a nice sea swim in a bay. So you get the added added buoyancy of um, being in salt water. It's 1900 meters on a rolling bike course, quite nice. And then it is a rolling run, which isn't as nice. But on paper, it's not that hard course. But when you get out there, it is a totally different beast. You have the humidity, you have you have the pressure of, of it being the world championships. Right. And to get there, you have to have qualified. So you are racing against the best of the best. And there is so much hype. There is so the crowds, the atmosphere, even in the build-up, the volunteers, they're just everyone is so excited to be there. Everyone is so happy. Everyone has worked so hard to be there. That is also an added extra to it. And then 
yeah, it is just an absolute beast of a run and a well, beast of a race, the whole thing. Um, is it really a rolling bike though? I've seen some of those climbs and I, there's nothing rolling about some of those climbs that you, <laughs> you guys have to do. I mean, I guess my other races that I've done have been sort of Switzerland yeah. and France where the France, like you sort of climbed 35 kilometers. So yeah, 20, like, um, 50, 50 miles, no, not 50 miles, the wrong way. So yeah, 35 kilometers, you climb up a, up a hill and you go sort of 1500 meters up and then you come back down again. So in comparison to some of those, it is it is rolling, but there's sort of but one. Switzerland and France doesn't quite have the humidity that. No, they do not have the humidity. And and I remember like I think it was 27, 28 degrees in Hawaii, and I remember thinking, oh well, Switzerland was thirty two. It was much hotter. So I'm used to like ra- I've raced in the heat before, but when you combine the humidity, when you combine just the all of the elements, so Hawaii has. I think there's like 13 weather systems and it has eight of them on the island and that in itself you just don't know what you're going to expect on the day yeah. and and when yeah. you're talking 27 and 32 you're talking celsius i just want to make celsius yeah yeah celsius okay. sorry so how has <laughs> the sport changed now what it means to you so so what's like what's next now for me it's about your world like the world championships was a very tough course and mentally challenging it showed that i have so much more potential i have more to give and I think it has really spurred me on to get better, to improve, and to see see what else I'm capable of, actually. And you're racing to win now. I mean, you're racing to win your age group. You want to push yourself. You want to set the I am, yeah. I, I start it. So, again, sort of to move of when I sat on the start line of Barcelona, which was my first Ironman, that was all about finishing. And I was just, com- like, completing it. And now, I yeah, they are a race that I want to win. And that's where I go. I stand on the start line. I look at my competition. I assess the course. <laughs> Some people laugh at me. I sort of like stalk people on Strava because, you know, you need to know that you need to know the factors. Yeah. Yeah. You need to be prepared. Like don't go into anything unprepared and see how I can win, which is hopefully what I'm going to do next year. That is pretty dang amazing when you really think about where you came from. Yeah. And it is nice. Sometimes I sort of, when I've had a bad session, I think back about, where I started and where I've come to. And it's, it's quite, it's, it's been an amazing, it's been a hard journey, mm. but it, yeah, it's been amazing. And but you just hit on something. I think really in our, in our professional careers, we do this too, right? We're always staring at the mountaintop, like what's ahead. Mm. I think sometimes we forget to, and I'm not saying rest on your laurels by any stretch of the imagination, right? Yeah. And, and let the ego drive you. But I'm saying sometimes we forget to reflect back on like how far, like look backwards, like how far you've come here. And then just go take that next step. Yes. You know, don't don't keep staring at the mountaintop. It's like when you said in the water, Kona, you're swimming back and you're in the middle of the pack. So you're not the fastest. You're not the slowest. Shark will get distracted. You're okay. Just focus on the feet in front of you. Get your butt out of the water, right? But that's yeah. it. I mean, that's it right there. And how much has that showed up in your professional career? A lot, I think. And it's also about breaking things down. When I started training, obviously the end, this end goal, you know, this unfathomable distance in an Ironman. And, and I guess you sort of have to think, how do you break it down? How do you make it manageable? And it's a lot like I do every day at work. You have this massive event that you're preparing for, this massive campaign. How do you break that down? You sort of think, right, what are the key things that I need to do this week? How then do I build on it for next week? And you slowly start building up and building up and hitting these key deadlines and these key timings. And then you get to the build day or you get to the day of filming or you know the day of recording and all of those building blocks we put in place for that successful 
day race or whatever. And I think that's something that has, yeah, really sort of come through from from racing and pulling it down and making it these sort of manageable chunks that you can then deal with every week or every day. And um, rather than this big, all-encompassing fear of whatever whatever you're leading up to. I want you on my team when things start going sideways, okay? Because you have this really even mindset, which I love. But when you're backed up against a deadline, right? When some things have been thrown your way that either you didn't expect or just make no sense at all why it's happening and you're getting backed up against a deadline and everybody around you is sort of getting a little bit lost in the emotion of it. (laughs) What did you say? Flustered. Yes. Yes. Flustered. Simple word. But how do you handle it? How do you continue to break it up into manageable chunks, even if you don't have a lot of time left to do so. Now, all of a sudden, your time's compressed. I think it's times like that when it's even more important to sort of take that moment and kind of, actually, when everyone is flustered and running around, we say like like headless chickens, mm-hmm. it's sort of, okay, fine, yes, we have to get to this point and it's all gone wrong, but what is the next step? And once you've got that next step, then the other steps just keep following into place. It's like a writer that says, you know, the hardest thing is writing that first you know, writing the first line of a book, that is the hardest thing you do. And so if you just think, okay, what is this one small piece? Is it, I have to send an email to the client or a supplier or something, something really simple, really easy that you can just sort of feel like you're moving forward. And then once you've done that, you're like, okay, now I have the next thing. And suddenly things become a bit clearer. And I guess it's about ensuring in the team and everyone that they have that clear direction that they then know what that next small step is going to be. And then the road will clear. And I, I love that. And the thing, the thing that key, I keep coming back to some challenges I know that I have with my client, or I don't have with my clients, some challenges my clients have that we work through, especially at the higher levels. It's like, I, mm. you know, they'll, they'll conceptually, intellectually, they'll get that. Like, I know that makes sense, but there's always that, but instead of the yes and like improv, right? Yeah. There's that but. We try to cut that out of their vocabulary, but they, there we go again. They say, but I have higher expectations of myself. And I try to convince them that in that moment, we're not dealing, the higher expectations are wonderful. They're awesome. But right now, this is where the focus needs to be is just that next step. Yeah. And it's not saying that we will get to that higher expectation and you just have to, you can't leap. You have to make a small step. And if you always focus on the higher expectation and ensure that you're working on the right path to do it, that you'll get there. Right. And and I guess like a training plan, I, actually, I think that's a, not a bad analogy. I can't step out the door tomorrow and do an Ironman. It's the same way that you can't suddenly master up a, a you know, or overcome this massive challenge. But by having, okay, this week, today, or right now, I'm going to do a five-mile run and so on and so on, you're building up to it. And yeah. That perfect that that end goal will always will be there and will, and will you will achieve. I remember in training for my for the half Ironman. I started to have better workouts when I gave myself a little bit. I don't want to use the word compassion, but a little bit of space to maybe I don't get off to a great start on my long ride. You know, maybe you're not just killing it the first 15, 20 miles. All of a sudden, at mile twenty five, you feel better, right? Yeah. Or maybe you you have an IT band issue when you're running a long run. And you're like, you know what? I'm shutting it down today. Yeah. Because like you said, you're not truly lowering your expectations. You're just figuring out what the next step has to be. Mm. And and I guess that's why in a workout, you always have a warm up for that exact reason. Your first five, you know, first five, 10 minutes might not be the best. You might not be feeling it. It might be a bit of a struggle, but 
just keep going for that little bit longer and you're 12, 13, 14 minutes, you feel like you're flying because you've allowed yourself to sort of get there and, and you know, and move forward. So how do you, with how busy you are, find the time to train for an Ironman? I think I'm very lucky in that I work for a great company that mm-hmm. sort of, I guess, supports what I do. I have a very supportive partner who doesn't mind not seeing me a lot or ever. <laughs> he made a joke once that um, we have a long distance relationship while we live in the same house. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a great sense of humor too. He has a good sense of humor. Yeah. I bring it into my life. I have a commute that's six miles and I make sure that is part of my training. So either I run here or I cycle and I just make, you know, if I'm seeing some friends, sometimes I will be there half an hour later and therefore that gives me an hour to do my training session. And I think you set expectations for people that I'm going to turn off my gym stuff. Yeah. And if you'd like and to who see cares me, they sit there and talk about you for the first 30 minutes when you're not there. It's okay. Exactly. It's fine. They don't need me anyway. Now so there's a rumor about- going around and can you confirm this for me? There's a rumor going around that you actually turned down a job offer because they did not have a shower <laughs> yes, <on I> did. <laughs> premises. So you could not ride or run to work or whatever it is you were going to do that day and couldn't shower at work. Is, is there some truth to this rumor? That is 100% true. I did turn down a job offer for two reasons. One, because it's such a big part of my life that, and it needs to be encompassed into my life. It can't be separate because when it's separate, when it's totally independent from your everyday life, that's when it doesn't fit. And that's when you don't find the time to do it. And the other one is that I felt that if they didn't have a shower and they didn't, they weren't giving very basic facilities that would help all their employees, they probably weren't the right company to work for. So when you turned down the job, did you literally say to them, hey, you don't have a shower. This doesn't, we're not aligned. This doesn't work. And what was the reaction? (laughs) They were like, this is the strangest conversation we've ever had. (laughs) But it's always a question in an interview. It's always a question I ask. Do you have a shower? What are your changing facilities? And they're always like, oh, I don't really get asked that because it's very, it's really important. And yeah, without it, it's sort of, yeah, such a big part of my life that I would be sacrificing so much to go somewhere that that didn't allow me to cycle and run in that it wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't be worth it. I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, if folks want to learn more about you, LinkedIn, is that the best place? Is Yes. Yeah. We'll put that link in the uh, show notes. We'll also put a link to to Wasserman in the show notes. I absolutely love what you do. And and obviously, I was going to skip my run today, but that's not happening. I love the stories. And I love how there's the translation into like, you have something significant in your life, the training, the races that are a part of your work life, right? I mean, that's where we are today. There is no such thing as work-life balance or separation, you know? Mm-hmm. And especially for, for those folks who have families, like I integrate my family into what I do. I mean, I feel like if I don't make my work a part of their life and their life a part of my work, then my kids, my children who are eight and 10 now will grow to resent what I do for a living. And I don't ever want that to happen. So I just absolutely love how conscious you are about that. But I do have to ask, was it hard to find time when you were in Germany and you had to do all the fan activations to kind of get away and get your workouts in and find a place to swim? It was. I actually failed to find a place to swim. It's the, I think the longest time I've been without going for a swim. But I think that's also the other thing of you have to adapt. So rather than going for a swim, I just tweaked my workouts and we had a gym. So I did some shorter runs, some shorter bike rides and, um, yeah, sort of managed to, to tweak it a bit like that. So yeah, I know know you got to run. I know you're getting the hook, Jane. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. 
and you were awesome. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you for listening to The Athletics of Business. Be sure to give us a rating and review so we know how we're doing. For more information about the show, visit theathleticsofbusiness.com. Now, get out there, think, act, and execute at the highest level to unleash your greatness.